The following podcast is a recording from the sermon ministry of Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Our prayer is that this message will be used by God to help you in your daily walk with Him. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And we went through Isaiah 53 in November, but I on purpose did not cover verses 3 through 5. In fact, nobody called me out on it. I was really surprised. We kind of skipped right over it, and I was expecting somebody to come and mention that we didn't get there. But Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5 We will see this morning what I personally believe is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. Now, I know the Bible in itself is very important, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. But we're going to see here today what I believe is one of the top verses in all of the Bible because it explains exactly why Jesus came to die on the cross. And we gather this morning, as I mentioned when we opened our service, to celebrate Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people that would come to the Lord's Supper service and they would treat it like a funeral service where, oh, it's such a sad thing that Jesus died. And it is. But my friend, if it hadn't been for the fact that Jesus died, we would not be able to sing Alleluia like Florine and and, and Julia did. Alleluia, praise the Lord. Why do we have hope beyond this grave that, that one day we're going to go to? Because of Jesus Christ. And so today, yes, we reflect on the death of Christ, and it was a very tragic event in the sense that he died, and he was whipped and scourged, and he was bloodied beyond recognition. But at the same time, if he hadn't gone through that, you and I would still be in our sin. And so today we celebrate what Jesus has done. More specifically, we celebrate what he did for us. And as one songwriter put it, um, we, we sang that song this morning, with joyful grief, we lift our praise, abhorring, hating all of our sin, adoring only him. And that's what I'd like us to do this morning in the few moments that we have together. Look at verse number three, Isaiah 53, verse number three. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, there's three Hebrew words I want to draw your attention to real quickly here as we get into the text because it helps define where we're going. Number one is the word sorrow. It means pain. Acquainted means to know by experience. You're in constant contact. Hopefully, you're acquainted with everybody in our church family. If not, after the service today, we have a Faithway family meal. Stay around, get to know somebody that you don't know very well, and you'll become acquainted with them. The word grief there means suffering or sickness. And so all of those three words together tell us in verse number three that the Messiah, we didn't know who he was at this point when Isaiah wrote this, but the Messiah would be someone who could relate to pain, unlike some individuals who struggle to understand other people's experiences. You know, I work for one semester in the food service industry, and and I'll tell you, I know that it's, it's not as easy as people make it seem. I know there's some people here in our church today who are waiters or waitresses. And, and, you know, if someone works, has worked previously in the food service world, they're a lot more understanding when the water doesn't get filled up as quickly as it probably should be. I found by experience that people who have previously worked in that industry will oftentimes leave bigger tips because they know the stress and the pressure that someone is going through. They can relate to those things, right? And so there is that camaraderie that they have. If you've ever attempted to maybe discuss a problem that you are going through or a concern that you have with someone who does not have similar experiences, you may have left that conversation feeling very frustrated. 
But my friend, there is someone that you can go to at any moment of the day and he understands exactly what you are going through. It's Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 puts it this way, verse number 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities. Now, it's talking to Christians, and when you see two knots in a sentence, it's a double negative, which means it's a positive. I know it's confusing. So you could read it. We have a high priest which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities or our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So the Bible says that Jesus went through everything that you and I will ever go through in our life. And because of that, verse number 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You and I need help in our life. We do. In fact, if you think you can go throughout the week without help from God, you're mistaken. Sadly mistaken. When we have problems in our life, the only place that you can turn to receive true help is to get on your knees and call out to God in prayer. The Bible tells us that God is there to help us. Jesus can empathize with our pain and our sorrow as he experienced it himself. Not only did he experience it himself, but he alone has the ability and the capacity to offer support and assistance in our time of need. And as we understand that truth, Jesus can fully comprehend our struggles. It's important that we learn to turn to him in prayer. I love what James chapter 5, verse number 13 says. James says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. My friend, turn to God in prayer. He can help you in your time of need. The idea there in verse number 3, if you look back at your Bibles, Isaiah 53, verse number 3, it says there, we have a man that can relate to us, but in the middle of that verse it says, and we hid as it were our faces from him. The idea there is that when the Jewish people would walk by and see the Messiah, they would turn in disgust because that, that picture there, how horrible he looked. It, just put yourself in your in mind's eye. You're, you're in, middle, in the Middle East, outside the city walls of Jerusalem in the ancient days, and you're walking past the main gate, the main thoroughfare, the Damascus Road area, where people would, thousands of people would travel in and out of Jerusalem, especially because this was the time of the feast. And right outside the city walls is where they would crucify Jesus at Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there is Christ hanging on that cross. Thousands of passerbyers are walking by. And there you are as a mom with little kids. And you see these three criminals that have been beaten beyond recognition, that are bloodied to a pulp. I don't know about you, but if I had little kids, I would try to do the best I could to, to shelter them from that, right? I would take off my coat, my tunic, and I would say, kids, don't look over there. Just trust me, don't look over there. Why? Because I don't want my kids to be scarred for the rest of their life by what they see. That's the idea there in verse number three. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. And so the idea here is that Jesus would be so beaten and so bloodied that people would hide their faces. I think it's important that we understand that you and I, we very easily can do the same thing that people 2,000 years ago did in Jerusalem. You say, well, I would never do that. I would never turn my face from God. Yes, you would. Matthew chapter 24, 25, look what Jesus said. Then shall they answer, also answer him, saying, Lord, when we saw thee and hungered or thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee, and he answered them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to the least of these, ye did it unto me. In other words, there are people all around us that are struggling and that are in sickness and pain. They're, they're financially, they're struggling, whatever it might be. And if you turn your nose to them, Jesus is saying, you're turning your nose to me. 
So let us not be so calloused by what we've grown accustomed to here in our world that we don't see the needs of other people all around us. You know, it seems like we pick it up in elementary school where there's these cliques. You know, who's the cool kid to be around? It just magnifies itself even more when you get to junior high, when you have all those questions about yourself and you're going through puberty and all the changes in your body and you're wondering who you are. And then you get to high school and then that's when the differences really, really begin to set in. Well, my friend, Jesus did not look at the world through those eyes. Jesus was willing to love the unlovely. He was willing to talk to the woman who was an outcast at the well there in John chapter number 4. In Mark chapter number 1, he was willing to touch those that were leprous, those that were untouchable. And so, in your mind's eye, picture Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull. There are the criminals hanging there on the cross. And you see Jesus hanging. His face is bloody. He's disfigured by beatings. He suffered. His back is shredded by the whippings that he's endured. Will you look at him this morning? That's the point of the Lord's Supper, is to remember what Jesus went through. In a moment, you're going to hold that little cup, the grape juice, and, and that represents the blood of Christ. And then you're going to hold a cracker in your hand, and that cracker represents the body that was broken for you. Do you esteem him? The next verse there, later on in verse 3, it says, And we esteemed him not. The word esteem means to think, to make a judgment. And essentially what we're, they're saying is the Jewish people were going to reject their Messiah. Jesus turned rejection into forgiveness. John 1.11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus came for the Jews, knowing that the Jews would reject him. Yet even in their rejection, Jesus would not become bitter, but he would forgive. You remember what he said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can I just bring that home for us here this morning? There may be someone here today that's struggling with rejection. Because someone has said something to you, you feel uncomfortable. Maybe the way they treat you, you feel like an outcast. Don't be consumed with anger, but choose to forgive. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And the Bible tells us as Christians, we're to be little Christ. Little Christian. That's what Christian means. Little Christians. Little Christ. We go around and we are to act like our Messiah. So forgive. Don't become bitter. Look at verse number four. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Even though we despised him and rejected him, and he's called the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he went on to take our griefs and our sorrows. That word esteem there, throw that back up there on the screen, what it means. It means to make judgment on. Um, so verse number four, follow me, this is so important. It says, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. There was a t-shirt going around a few years ago. Uh, I don't know where it came from. It said, don't judge me, bro. And it, maybe you're familiar with that. I don't know. But the idea here is, look, I do, I do me, you do you. Don't judge me. Just let me live my life. And I get that. I understand that. It's a popular thing to say. But that's not what the Bible says here, right? And we could go into that. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 18, that we are to make sure in our own lives we judge ourselves and we look out and we make sure, look, there are people involved in sin, we call it out. But that's not the point of the message today. The, the, what the Bible says here in verse number four is the people did judge Jesus. It says they esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, 
Jesus was judged by the Jewish people. They judged him, deciding that Jesus, as he hung on the cross, was being judged by God for his sin. That's what the popular opinion amongst all the crowd that passed by him that day was. Ah, there's a man on the cross. He is being judged by God because he is a sinner, a terrible, rotten sinner. In fact, that's what the Pharisees, the Sadducees did in Matthew chapter 26. The high priest, he rent his clothes saying, Thou hast spoken blasphemy, a sin, right? You, you, you blaspheme God in the ancient Jewish day? That was worthy of death. What further need of we of witnesses? Behold, ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And the, they answered him, all of the Sanhedrin, they said, He is guilty of death. They thought that Jesus was worthy of being condemned to death because they saw Christ, hear me, as an ordinary man claiming to be the Son of God. But we know that Jesus was no ordinary man claiming to be the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. And when God said, Jesus said that he was God, he was making a statement, I am the Messiah, I am the one that you've been looking for. But just as Isaiah predicted 700 years before the birth of Christ, they, they esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But as I told you, we'd come to one of the most important verses in all of the Bible, and that is found in verse number 5. Because in this verse, it puts the whole Bible together. It explains the very reason why Jesus came and died. Again, here's the irony. Even though the people thought he was worthy of death, the fact is, yes, he was killed. But when he was killed, he was wounded for the sins of the people that thought he was worthy of death, not his own sins. Verse number five. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. When we see that word wounded there, that means to, it's very interesting that, that Isaiah would choose that word. It means to bore through or to pierce. Now remember, 700 years before Christ was, written, or was, was born, why would Isaiah write this, that he would be pierced through? It's a pretty vivid picture of the crucifixion, is it not? David prophesied in, in Psalm 22, verse 16, for dogs, or that's the ancient, Gent the, the Hebrews would have referred to the Gentiles as dogs. So the Gentiles, the dogs have come past me. The Romans were all around him on the cross. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I mean, that's thousands of years, or thousand plus years before Jesus was born, David prophesied. The Messiah would have his hands and his feet pierced. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10. God says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn him as one mourneth his only son, and they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now that's a prophecy of what will happen in the end time when they look back and they realized we killed the Messiah. He was here, he came to us, and we killed him, and they will mourn one day. The ancient Jews, by the way, they... They, now they would say Isaiah 53 does not refer to the Messiah, or not, definitely doesn't refer to Jesus. But the ancient Jews understood it to actually refer to the Messiah. One, uh, the second century, or third century rabbi wrote, Chastisements are divided into three parts. One is for David and the fathers, one to our generation, and one to the King Messiah. As it is written, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. So the ancient, the ancient Hebrew scribes and, and, and teachers believed that Isaiah 53 referred to the Messiah, even though modern Jewish people do not believe that it refers to Jesus at all. 
But you see verse number five says he was wounded for our transgressions. If you transgress, that means you crossed the line, right? You've crossed over, the neighbor puts up no trespassing signs, and you decide to ignore the no trespassing signs, and you go onto his property, he's going to call the cops, right? Because you've trespassed when you're not supposed to. That's the idea there, you transgress. There is not a person in this room that has not transgressed the law of God. Every person who walked by that cross 2,000 years ago and saw Jesus hanging there, bloodied to a pulp, they all had transgressed the law of God. Now, they were Jewish people who thought that they were good people because they were going to the Passover celebration and they were going to sacrifice a lamb. They thought they were good with God. But no, all we like sheep, the Bible says, have gone astray. All we have turned to our own way and God laid the iniquity, our sin, on Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are all sinners. In fact, we've all rebelled against God, haven't we? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That phrase there, come short of the glory of God, means we've missed the mark. I've used this illustration before, but suppose you and I were to line up at the edge of the Grand Canyon. And we were to decide that we were going to jump off the Grand Canyon to try to go from the north rim to the south rim. Now, I don't think anybody in the world would ever be able to make it that far. In fact, it's several miles long. So you would not be able to jump. Even the greatest Olympian athlete of all time maybe could go 25 or 30 feet. I would probably go about two feet. But, you know, we'd go a little distance, and then what would we do? We'd plunge to our death 5,000 feet below us. That's what the idea here is. We've come short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark because of our sin. And the Bible says, just like the Grand Canyon, there's a great gulf between the North Rim and the South Rim, There is this separation between us and God. Isaiah wrote there, Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, your sins, your trespasses, whatever word you want to use for that, they've separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. My friend, here's the good news today. The Lord is not so weak that he cannot save you. Jesus has not become deaf. He can hear you when you call, but there's a problem. Your sin has cut you off from God. And because of your sin, God cannot hear. He's turned his face away from you and will not listen to us. There's only one prayer that God can hear if you've never repented of your sin. And that is a prayer to God saying, Father, I repent of my sin. I realize that my sin has separated me from you. And the best that you know how, you call out to God and ask him to forgive you based upon what Jesus did for you, dying in your place, believing that he died and rose again. And the Bible says the prayer, that prayer is a prayer that God will answer. Who, what, the Bible says Romans 12, or Romans 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In order for there to be a restoration of communication between you and God, someone had to pay the price to remove your sins. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. You've probably heard this story before, but there was a man who had the duty back in the great industrial revolution age here, right when trains, planes, and automobiles were first getting started. And there were steamships that were going up and down the rivers, and trains were just crisscrossing the nation. It was a great time of industrial revolution here as we were manufacturing so many great things. Well, there was a guy who had a job, and it was a pretty great job. His job was to simply maintain the drawbridge over a river that allowed steamers to pass back and forth. And he would have to lower it when the trains would come by and he would raise it when the steamships would would go under. 
And one day, this man had a bring your son to work day. For some reason, his son came to work with him. And he wanted to watch his dad just do, it, do what dad did. And as most boys are, he, he was quite curious. And so he peered down the trap door that the dad would keep open up there on the platform so we could at all times see the gears that were there in the bridge to make sure nothing was interfering with those gears. He looked down and somehow he fell down that trap door and got stuck in the cogs of that bridge. Well, the story goes that the man realized his son was in trouble and so he reached down to try to help him, but he realized his son was stuck. At that moment, he heard the distant whistle of a train. He knew that he had to get that bridge lowered, otherwise there were going to be hundreds of people on that train that would plunge to their death. They would not be able to make it. They would all die. If he didn't lower that bridge, they were all in trouble. But his son was stuck in the cogs of that, of that, of that bridge. If, if he lowered the bridge at that moment, his son would be crushed to death. He had to make a decision. He tried to get his son freed, but he couldn't do it. And so, finally, he realized his responsibility, what he had to do. And he pulled, put his hand on that lever, and he pulled it to start that machinery. And he, with tears, saw the bridge start to lower down to the ground. It clamped down, killing his son. The passengers on that train had no idea what had just taken place. They were going on their happy way, you know, in their cars, just having a good time. No idea that that man had just sacrificed his son. That sacrifice that he had made to save their lives, it cost him the life of his son. My friend, that's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did for me. He took his only begotten son and he sacrificed him. In fact, verse 5, he was bruised for our iniquities. The word bruised there means to be crushed, to be shattered. It's, it's, it's mental and it's also physical. Jesus went through not just physical pain, but he was separated from God the Father. And it says there, he, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The word chastisement is the correction that, as a parent, you would inflict on your children when they cross the line. Maybe you give them a spank and maybe you put them in timeout, whatever it might be, but you, you discipline them because they've crossed the line and you're trying to teach them that they can't do that any longer. Well, there's a thing that was required to make peace with God, and that was the chastisement of our sins, and that was put upon Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Romans 5.1 says, being justified, therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember I said the communication has been broken. We are at war with God, the Bible says. Only one way for that war to, to be over, for there to be peace. And that is being justified by faith. The word justified means just as if I've never been a sinner. There's only one way for you and I to be, in the eyes of God, looked upon as we've never sinned. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. So not only did Isaiah prophesy that he would be bruised and pierced, but he says there, with his stripes, we are healed. He said Jesus was going to be whipped. And that's exactly what happened in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 26. They released Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So the idea here in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, is we have this horrendous picture of a man the man, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who went through so much. And the Bible says in verse number five, with his stripes, ye are healed. Now I know some people would say, well, the Bible is promising there. If you, get, if you call out to God, you can be healed physically of your pain and your sickness. That's not what the Bible's teaching here. In the context here, I believe this is talking about the healing that Jesus makes to us spiritually. He was pierced for our sins. 
And what that, all that remains for us is to receive that gift. Now, you, will Jesus heal you physically? He might. You know, there have been some people that I've known, even in our church family, who had cancer or had some diagnosis of some disease, and they said, let's pray, and we prayed, and God healed them miraculously. There's also been people in our church that we put our hands on and prayed for them, and shortly thereafter, they passed away. Will God heal you? He may. But my friend, the most important healing that you will ever receive in this world is not physical healing from a disease, it's spiritual healing. Because we are finite beings, meaning our time here on this world will come to an end one day soon. But God is infinite. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will live forever with an infinite God in heaven. And this world will quickly pass away. But the Bible says that God's word will not pass away. And heaven is forever. And so, my friend, if you're not prepared for heaven today, call out to God as we pray in a moment and ask him to be your Savior. If you know Jesus Christ, today I, I wanted to paint a picture of what Calvary was like for you. Maybe I did a bad job, I don't know, but I just hope for a few moments you'll reflect on all that that cross meant to God. All that Jesus went through. He was, they, they thought he died because he was a sinner. And the reality was he died because they were sinners. And just the irony of that whole situation is Jesus died on the cross. He died for them, but he also died for you. And he died for me. Are you thankful for his death this morning? I hope you are. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for allowing us together to gather around the Bible and to see this passage of Scripture. It, it all becomes so clear, Lord, why you died on that cross. And Lord, I want to pray today for those who are here who do not know Jesus as their Savior, that they would come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and today would be the day that they call out to you and ask you to save them from their sin, that they would finally stop running and be at peace with God. Lord, for those here who know Jesus, what a blessing it is to not only be at peace with you, but Lord, to walk with you every day. But sometimes we lose the wonder of our salvation. We forget what the cross was like. And so, Lord, today we come with eyes afresh, seeing you hanging on that cross of Calvary as you were beaten and scourged and pierced, and you died alone for me. Lord, thank you for that gift. This is Pastor Barney Schwenke from Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Thank you so much for taking the time today to listen to the sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you in your journey with God, please reach out to us. You can find more information on how to contact us at our website, faithwaybaptistchurch.com. May God continue to bless you as you seek to walk with